After the sermon, we will sing about God who is beyond the clouds, Psalm 68, stanzas 2 and 12. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, when we think of the ascension of the Lord Jesus, then we think of him as going through space. We think of him being lifted from the earth somewhat like a spaceship as he goes through the clouds going higher and higher until he ends up in heaven where God dwells. And he does not need a rocket or a space suit in order to accomplish that, for he is God. But is that exactly the way it happened? Is that the image you have regarding the ascension? Well, brothers and sisters, the truth is that we don't know everything about this. Disciples only see him go up for a few moments, for as we read in Acts 1, a cloud hit him from their sight. The disciples kept on looking intently into the sky, but they couldn't see anything anymore. Jesus was hidden behind that cloud. Perhaps you think it is too bad that that cloud appeared just at that time and that the disciples could not watch him go higher and higher, just like we would be able to do when a spaceship is launched. And we can watch that spaceship disappear from our sight. But have you ever thought about what the purpose of that cloud is? Do you think that that cloud came there just by chance, just as Jesus was ascending? Was that cloud just an ordinary cloud like all the other clouds in the sky? Well, no doubt that cloud would have looked like any other cloud in the sky. And yet, there is something very special about that cloud. As we will see, that cloud assures us of God's presence here on earth. And that's also, <clears throat> excuse me, that's also the theme for this afternoon's service. You will see that the cloud of the ascension assures God's presence. You will see two things. First of all, that he is hidden. In the second place, yet he is present. First then, that he is hidden. Catechism says that Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven. Clearly, that is scriptural. We just read that ourselves in Acts 1. There are two other places in scripture where the ascension is described. In Mark 16, verse 19, we read, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And in Luke 24, verse 50, and following we read, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. These are very sober, straightforward renditions. No further details are given. And the Lord did not deem it necessary for us to know exactly what took place behind that cloud or in that cloud. That is a secret. 
And it is not possible to know that at this time either. For because of sin at the present time, heaven and earth are separated from one another. And so we are limited in our understanding. But it is important for us to know that Christ rose bodily into heaven. And that the Father in heaven welcomed the Lord Jesus, body and all, with open arms. This time he did not welcome him like the father in the parable who welcomed the lost son because he had repented and had come into better insight. No, the father welcomed him because his task was completed on earth. There was a great rejoicing in heaven. Jesus is home. He is once again with his father in heaven. Time of the ascension, the disciples did not quite understand the mission of the Lord Jesus. At first, they had been disappointed when he was nailed to a cross and subsequently put into a grave. They thought that Jesus was going to establish God's kingdom on earth. And now he's gone. They thought, it's the end. Was his mission a failure? Did we believe in him for nothing? They didn't quite know what to make of it. But then the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. For 40 days they ate with him and they spoke with him. It was just like before. Or even better than before. He had conquered death. They had some hope again. But they were still confused. That's clear from what they said just before the ascension. For they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's one for six. You see, the disciples still had an earthly perspective. They were still looking for an earthly king. And then suddenly, the Lord Jesus is taken away from them. He ascends into heaven. And no doubt at this point, they're still confused. The one moment he is with them, and then he is gone again. What's this all about? After all this, how can he now go away again? Well, they don't fully understand any of this until Pentecost. It is then that they recall the words of Jesus while he was still on earth. The words that he spoke to them, for example, as he recorded in John 14, he said, You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. But at this point, they can't quite make sense of it all. However, cloud should have been a clue to them. For the appearance of a cloud in salvation events has special significance with regard to the presence of God. Let me explain that to you from some examples, some biblical examples. When the people of Israel came into the desert, they were like lost sheep exposed to all kinds of dangers. It was unfamiliar territory. 
they were vulnerable. But what does the Lord God do? Well, we read in Exodus 13, verse 21, that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. So the cloud was always present. When they saw that cloud go ahead of them, they knew that the Lord God was with them and that he was guiding them. They did not have to be afraid. That cloud was a sure sign of God's presence. We also read about a cloud on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. The Lord had commanded Moses to come up to the mountain so that he could speak to him. And then the Lord God said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And further we read that Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, made his presence known on earth. Because of our sins, we can't see him. The Israelites either. But they know he's here. He is in that cloud. He is that almighty God who hides himself in the cloud and who makes his covenant with his people. Why? Because he wants to show how much he cares about them and how dearly he wants to be near them. Later on, the Lord God also wants to make his presence known in the cloud above the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. Read about that in Exodus 40. First, he gives all kinds of instructions about exactly how that tabernacle had to be made, what it had to contain. And then, once that is done, the tabernacle is erected. And the high point is reached when the Lord God made his presence known again in the cloud. It says in Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35, that the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because of the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God is within that cloud, and therefore his glory is present. We just read from Matthew 17. There also the cloud of God's presence is mentioned. The Lord Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James with him on a high mountain. And on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear, and they talk with Jesus. As they were talking together, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud is heard. It's the voice of God. He says, this is my beloved son, with whom, I'm, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
as they hear the voice of God, the disciples become very frightened and they fall face down on the ground. And they realize that God is among them. However, they don't have to be afraid. Jesus is still with them. Cloud is gone and Elijah and Moses are gone, but Jesus is still among them. Same thing happened on Ascension Day. Then they also see the cloud. But Jesus disappears into that cloud. Now he is no longer among them. As I said, we do not know exactly what happened in that cloud, but we know that at that moment he took on all the glory that he had with his Father in heaven before he descended. And it is impossible to see God in all his glory. As the scriptures say, it is impossible to see God and live. But that doesn't mean that he is no longer among us. Second point. Cloud is the cloud of God's presence. That cloud indicates that God is with us, even right now. You see, that's what the ascension is all about. Although Jesus rose into heaven, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, he's still among us. He is hidden behind a cloud, yet he is very near. That's exactly what we confess in Heidelberg Catechism. Beautiful teaching, too. We read there in answer 47 that with respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent. And that's exactly what Jesus promised his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He told them that even though he is going away, he will nevertheless still be coming back to them. He will be with them. These were also the last words that he spoke to his disciples as we read in Matthew 28. As he ascended on high with his arms outstretched in a blessing, he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Catechism says, first of all, that he is amongst us with respect to our divinity. You know what divinity means, don't you? It means with respect to the fact that he is God. It's very important that we confess that correctly. Question and answer 47 and 48 were written especially with the Lutherans in mind. They confess something different. According to them, and Jesus, at the time of his ascension, assumed divine characteristics with respect to his human nature. They say that at that time, his human nature became divine. At that time, at that point, he no longer had the same human nature as we have. His human nature and his divine nature now became fused, inseparable. Now, why did they teach that? Well, they had to come to that formulation because of their view of the Lord's Supper. Although they denied the Roman Catholic formulation that the bread and the wine changed into the actual body and blood of Christ, they nevertheless still combined Christ's human nature 
with his divine nature. They say that Christ is physically present in the bread and the wine. For according to them, you cannot separate the divine nature from his human nature. They're always together everywhere. Although the bread remains bread and the wine remains wine, nevertheless, Christ is physically present. Just like fire is present in a red-hot iron, so Christ is present in the elements of the Lord's Supper. Catechism denies that. He remains what he was, a real human being. And that's important. Or what else does the Catechism teach us? We read in answer 49 that because Christ is bodily in heaven, we have our flesh in heaven. That human flesh is now present in heaven as a sure pledge that we will also be taken up to him, up to heaven. For the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law in his human body. And that human body that is now in heaven is proof that our sins have been paid for. It is a guarantee that Christ has everything, has done everything for us that God required from us because of our sins. Brothers and sisters, God is with us. He's present right here, right now. He is our Emmanuel. Oh, sure, you cannot see him doesn't mean that he isn't here. That is why he gave you his word. God is speaking to you through his word. Do you hear his voice? Do you feel his presence? He speaks to me. God is not dead. He speaks in the scriptures. It's that same voice that spoke on, in the cloud on Mount Sinai and that spoke out of the cloud on the mountain of transfiguration, it's that same voice. God's presence is real. Do faith. You know that that is true. It also says that he is with us with respect to his majesty. What do you think of when you think of the majesty of God? Well, let me think of God's royal presence. He is king. Over all creation. He rules. Oh sure, at the present time, the prince of this world is Satan. But Satan is on a leash. And he can only do so much and no less. And he is totally within the power of God. The disciples wanted to have an earthly kingdom established. But that's not why Jesus came. He came in order to establish God's rule over all things, over the whole world. And the Lord Jesus is now seated on his throne, on the right hand of the Father. He is king. Make no mistake about it. And he provides for those who belong to his kingdom, to his citizens, those who believe in him, those who love him, when we think of God's majesty, we can also think of his glory. The king lives in an opulent palace. 
and he is surrounded by beautiful things. He has wonderful clothes that make him stand out. He rides in a glittering carriage. That's what an earthly king is like. But now think about God as king. We cannot even begin to imagine the glory and the majesty that surrounds him and that belongs to him. Brothers and sisters, I guarantee you, it is absolutely magnificent. Oh, sure, right now, a lot of that is mostly hidden behind the clouds. But nevertheless, you and I can already have a glimpse of that today. Look at the creation around you. Isn't it beautiful? Do you ever take time out to enjoy nature? You'll see the glory of God everywhere. And that is only an inkling of the glory that we will experience in the life hereafter. God gives us a glimpse of his glory now so that we can have that vision of God on his throne. The Catechism also tells us that with respect to his grace, he is never absent from us. Oh, that's a beautiful word, grace. It's very rich theological term. God's grace has to do with his mercy and his compassion. It has to do with his loving kindness. And that is why his face shines upon us. In other words, he looks favorably upon us in spite of our sins. And that grace is shown especially through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and who rose again on the third day and who then ascended into heaven but who never left us alone. We can experience God's grace every day, brothers and sisters. The very fact that you are alive is due to God's grace. You can experience God's grace also when you're depressed or melancholy. You can experience God's grace in the midst of the troubles that you may encounter here in this world because of sin and the effects of sin. God's grace is always with you. And that grace is with you only because of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God hands out his gifts to you and me from there. And then finally, the Catechism says that he is with, with us always with regard to his spirit. In John 16, the, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples that he is going to go to him who sent him. He says to them, but because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the word that he uses here for helper is the Greek word paraclete. It is hard to translate. It is a very rich term. Often it is also rendered as counselor, or comforter. In answer 49, God's Spirit is referred to as a counterpledge. As you know from the previous Lord's Day, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pledge, our pledge, 
It is a pledge that God will also prepare a place for us. For he has his flesh in heaven as a guarantee that God will also allow us to come to where he is. The doors stand wide open, not only for the Lord Jesus, but also for you and for me, for those who belong to him. And that pledge is like a, a, a wedding ring. The husband gives something to his wife or the wife to her husband to indicate that the promises they make on their wedding day are genuine. Well, we have our flesh in heaven. And that is something that belongs to us. That flesh is now with God in heaven. But now God also sends us something as his pledge to us. And that is God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. He sent on the day of Pentecost. And that Holy Spirit may now dwell in us bodily. Because now we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? It's because of God's Spirit that you and I are here in this building right now. And it's because of God's Spirit that you know that you are a child of God and that these parents can know that their children are also children of God because God made promises to them. That is God's witness in our hearts. And that Holy Spirit of God was given to you only because Christ rose bodily into heaven. If he did not take our flesh with him into heaven, he would not have been able to send us his spirit. And without God's Holy Spirit, the works of the Lord Jesus could not be imputed to us, could not be applied to us. We could not be renewed. We could not be made new creatures. Brothers and sisters, right now there's still a cloud between God and us. There are lots of things we can't see and that we don't know. But there are a lot of things that we do know, isn't there? We know that God is with us always. Doesn't that make you glad? Don't doubt. Think about that every time you see a cloud. Be reminded of God's presence and give him thanks for him being near to you. Give thanks in word and deed. Praise his name. Amen.